This episode contains discussions of pregnancy loss that may be triggering for some listeners. Is Rebecca Godlove. Welcome to Retrofitted, a podcast for zennials and the people who love them. Each week we unpack, examine, and in some cases rethink the way we Gen Xers and millennials were collectively raised. We discuss everything from snack foods to classic rock to both historical and contemporary questions of ethics and religion. So I hope you're up for the challenge. On today's agenda, one in four. Things have changed a lot since I was in kindergarten, but one thing I am delighted to know that continues is the about me assignments that kids get. Now, my older son has been pretty consistent for the past few years in that his favorite color is red and his favorite food is pizza. For two years running, he wanted to be a police officer when he grew up. Then he added, not switched, mind you, He added on a helicopter pilot and a Dunkin' Donuts franchise owner. I mean, he's ambitious. What can I say? Now, my younger son's favorite color, animal, TV show, and book change daily. But he's pretty consistent in choosing cereal as one of his favorite foods. Mama tried, but apparently Tony the Tiger's got my back. So when that kiddo, my four-year-old, enters kindergarten, whatever he says he wants to be when he grows up will probably be a surprise to me. Now, when I was in kindergarten, and yeah, I actually did start school when I was four because laws were different back then, there was only one thing I wanted to be when I grew up, a mom. Now, I don't know if it's because my mom was at the time a hero in my eyes or because I did didn't know that women could be anything other than a mom or a nurse or a teacher. This was 1985-ish. Either way, I can really just remember really wanting to be a mommy someday. What seemed like the easiest answer in the world back then turned out to be monumentally harder than my kindergarten self could ever have imagined. I will not be sharing a whole lot of details about my miscarriages because to be honest with the percentage of lost pregnancies being around 20 to 25 percent or more the chances are that you or loved one have actually experienced one whether or not you share the loss with anyone else but i do need to talk very frankly about pregnancy loss for a number of reasons first although the taboo surrounding miscarriage is slowly being broken down It still exists, and it should not, because not discussing it is alienating at least a quarter of the adult female population of this planet. Second, giving voice to my own losses has always helped me process them much more effectively than sitting and just thinking too hard on them, such is the case for the painfully self-aware. We rarely need to do a lot of soul-searching to come to any kind of epiphanies about ourselves, because we know ourselves too well and it usually terrifies us. Third, discussing my losses, as well as the losses of other women, offers honor and recognition to the lives that never got to be. 
the first steps never taken, the first words never spoken, the first day of school never attended. But more than all this, I want to show you ways that you can support a woman who has had a miscarriage. I want to help you learn what to say and what not to say and how you can help a grieving mother or family. I had been considering writing this episode for a long time, but unfortunate events spurred me into action sooner than I anticipated. My sister suffered her second miscarriage, which actually resulted in her third loss, as her first pregnancy would have been twins. She does have an absolutely delightful little girl from her second pregnancy, who's almost two years old, but we will get into why that is actually something that shouldn't be considered when helping someone process a miscarriage. So this episode and all my hopefully helpful hints are dedicated to Julia and Roe Vanderford and the three children they haven't got to meet yet. I want to note that I am going to be using some terms to avoid triggering terms. Please note that as I do personally believe that life begins at conception, I am choosing not to refer to a miscarried baby as products of an inviable pregnancy, nor will I be calling a miscarriage a spontaneous abortion. Although I know these are medical terms and generally accepted ones, although the spontaneous abortion is making its way out of the theater of surgery and diagnoses, so I appreciate that, uh, at least the term is, I think that it feels doubly gut-wrenching to see on your hospital discharge paperwork a diagnosis of a spontaneous abortion because that word is so loaded and it conveys a sense of deliberateness that has nothing to do with a miscarriage. So for the sake of compassion today, I will be calling the lost baby just that, a baby. And if you are an individual who sees, for example, a nine-week-old fetus as just a fetus, as not a baby or a person, please humor me. Telling an emotionally fragile, grieving woman that she didn't even lose, like, a real baby is not a great way to help her mourn. So thank you for understanding that. First, I want to start with some facts that you probably already know if you've suffered a miscarriage. But they bear repeating because the sheer number of pregnancies that don't pass progress the first trimester is astounding. It is said that up to one in four women experience a miscarriage. Many of these women don't even know they were pregnant, as it's possible for a woman to mistake a miscarriage for a slightly late or heavier than normal period. Second, and I hope you've heard this too, despite the guilt that many women experience after a loss, it is almost impossible for a woman to cause her own miscarriage. Granted, there are things such as serious bodily harm and certain drug abuse that can lead to birth defects and in some cases, pregnancy loss, the vast majority of miscarriages are caused by something that no one has control over, genetics. It is far, far more likely that DNA is to blame rather than the uncooked deli meat, the sushi dinner, or the first or second glass of red wine in those first few weeks of pregnancy. What's tough about genetics being a cause of miscarriage is that we almost never find out the specific cause. Unless a couple like my husband and me experience recurrent miscarriage with no viable pregnancies in between the losses, 
Most of the time, further testing is not done and the couple is simply encouraged to try again when they're ready. By the way, I should also note that a couple is almost always physically ready to try again before they are emotionally ready, but that does vary. In cases like mine, further testing is usually recommended. We ended up having plenty of testing done, including a sperm count, an examination of the number and health of my eggs, and a karyotype done for each of us to determine if a specific genetic sequence was out of line and was causing triplicate or missing pairs of, of chromosomes for our baby. Our first loss was unfortunately our first pregnancy. Though tragic, uh, there is rarely anything done for a first-time loss other than symptomatic care and a DNC if needed, or dilation and cuterage. Uh, ironically, that is the same procedure uh, done during some types of abortions. So again, it's a very sensitive issue for women who didn't want or didn't consider an abortion. Sadly, in my case, I began to bleed and I learned that I was miscarrying at the 12-week mark the day after I had told my coworkers, the day after we had gone public. We also learned that the baby had stopped growing around eight weeks, but my body had not released it. It was a double betrayal for me. My body wasn't doing what it was biologically created to do. And even after our baby had passed away, my body refused to let me know. That was late August, 2011. My due date would have been February 29th, 2012. A leap year baby. Although there was no way to determine the sex, we felt like it was a girl and we named her Olivia Ray. Olivia for Olive, a symbol in the Bible of health, nourishment, prosperity, and peace. Our second loss was actually the hardest for both of us. We had seen the heartbeat around eight weeks. It was healthy, normal, and strong. Then the very next week, we had another ultrasound and the heartbeat was gone. To have seen that tiny, almost impossibly miraculous little heartbeat on the screen and to be filled with joy and hope, only to have it literally torn away seven days later, there aren't words for that. I needed a second DNC, more surgery, more hospital bills. That was early May, 2012. My due date would have been December 5th, 2012. We named that baby Bennett Curtis. Bennett is an anglicized version of the Latin word for blessing. By the time of our third positive pregnancy test, I feel guilty to say it now, but I wasn't expecting much and we didn't get far. Just five weeks in, I noticed the telltale bleeding and the loss was confirmed by ultrasound. This was a little bit different though. It was as if this time my body had finally figured out how to let go both figuratively and physically. Now that was in October, 2012. My due date would have been May 5th, 2013. Now this time I was able to experience the loss naturally without surgery or any kind of intervention or therapeutic treatment. Because of this, it was more strangely peaceful than the other two for me. And for this reason, we named our third baby Galen John. Galen is from the ancient Greek, meaning calm or tranquil. 
Now, if this is not your first episode of Retrofitted, you know that my husband and I certainly did go on to have two beautiful, healthy, brilliant little boys. Uh, in our case, it was sort of kind of determined that um, my progesterone was too low and was causing problems where um, the baby would begin to grow and then the progesterone that my body was providing for its growth was not enough to sustain it. So um, yay for uh, progesterone supplements because uh, it seems to have worked for us. Not fun, but um, we got two great kids out of it, so it was worth it. Although I must note, my first successful pregnancy was fraught with a lot of problems and did end in severe preeclampsia, resulting in a premature birth requiring a C-section and a nine-day NICU stay. My second pregnancy was textbook perfect up until the day of the planned C-section where preeclampsia was again discovered. That time we needed a five-day NICU stay. And just an aside here, um, the hospital that the boys were born at, which is uh, UPMC Mercy in Pittsburgh, uh, no longer has a labor and delivery unit, which is not great because they were wonderful to us. Um, but I don't know if it's because, uh, you know, it's, it's a particularly Catholic area or anything. Um, but almost every NICU nurse that we had, um, was named a variant of the name Catherine. It was Katie, uh, Kathy, Catherine, Kathleen. Um, and I was grateful for all of them. So if you are a nurse named Katie or any variant of that, I just want to let you know that I really appreciate you. So thanks. Even with the joy of hope and the joy of motherhood, it was it was a painful journey from miscarriage to that point. And if you allow me to bring you as I walk that path again, I know that you will uncover some truths that will help you heal from your own loss or to help a loved one heal from hers. So I've shared with you the facts of my losses, but I'm going to talk a little more now about um, the emotions associated with it um, and some things you're not going to want to say to someone who is experiencing a miscarriage uh, or who has experienced one. So if her miscarriage was like my third uh, it might actually take several days to uh, allow the body to release everything, um, just like an extra painful period. The feeling of not being able to do anything to save your own baby is easily one of the most helpless and agonizing feelings a person can ever experience. And it is unique to women because it's their body that is causing a perceived betrayal. Please know that from a biological standpoint, her hormones are completely out of whack with some drastically elevated levels crashing down to almost nothing and other levels rising all within the course of hours or days as her body realizes the pregnancy is unable to continue. Now, in some cases, her body may still be experiencing symptoms of pregnancy, such as nausea, breast tenderness, making it even harder for her to rectify the fact that she's no longer carrying a living baby. It's 
very jarring. So at this point, here is a list of phrases for you to completely eradicate from your vocabulary when talking about miscarriage or specifically to someone who has gone through the experience or who is going through it. I will list them for you and then we will break them down as to why they are terrible to say. Here we go. At least you weren't that far along. At least you have other children. Maybe it just wasn't God's timing. You can always try again. It's for the best because there was probably something wrong with the baby. If this were a video recording right now, um, you would see me wildly running around the room waving massive red flags and slamming big red buttons that say cancel mission. Please, please, I know you mean well. I know it's hard to know what to say, but please don't say these things. And here is why. At least you weren't that far along. Well, for a mother who was excited to experience her baby's first kick or that impossibly surreal feeling of hiccups in the womb, you've just reminded her that she will never know them with this child. Also, for many mothers who want their pregnancies, the baby is a baby from the second she sees that little pink plus sign or the word pregnant on her test. She is already imagining the tiny perfect toes and that sleepy, milky sweet baby yawn. The size of a freckle or a mango or a football, that is her baby. This phrase also disregards the early days of pregnancy as negligible, when in fact they're laying the groundwork for the explosive growth to come. At least you have other children. Well, let's put it in a different words. Now, I have a friend who loves animals, utterly adores them. Incidentally, this is the friend who I'm co-hosting a new podcast with next year, and I have indeed met her beautiful menagerie of cats and dogs and guinea pigs, a bearded dragon, and a snake. And she and her family care for and love them all, which will probably be the theme of several of our episodes, how much we love our, our, our non-human children and our cats specifically. Now, last year, she had five cats. Sadly, three of them passed away within about 18 months of each other as all of them were elderly or otherwise terminally ill. I didn't tell her that she has other animals to love, so it shouldn't be a big deal. I mourned with her, knowing that those cats were individuals, were special to her, and each had its own story. That the other pets, though equally valued, didn't have the same personality, the same past, or the same path as the ones who were gone. Same thing with babies, my friends. A woman can have 10 living children and one miscarriage, and she will always, always wonder who that lost child might have become. Maybe it wasn't God's timing. Hey, this one's the worst. Here we go. You know, the entire point of this podcast is for me to help you and myself unlearn some of the seriously damaging Air Bunny Christian concepts we were taught as kids and teens that actually have nothing to do with the Bible. Um, here's one of them. Okay, that a miscarriage would be caused by the same God who created life because somehow the timing is off? Think about it. If we Christians truly believe that every child conceived has a right to live on this earth, 
to the fullest and accomplish everything that he or she can in life, then how can we in the same breath turn around and say, well, maybe God made an oopsie and this child was really not ready to be in the world yet or that the parents aren't ready for the child? Do you honestly think that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was ready to be a parent? Church, we're talking out of both sides of our mouths on this one, and I know I sound preachy, but listen. We cannot say that God is the creator of life and every human being is created in his image, but that he's choosing to take a life away because he changed his mind. Look, God is sovereign, and I know there are things that we will never understand. That is part of being Christian. That's part of our faith. They will never make sense to us. But you cannot say that he knits together a body in the womb, knows a soul before conception, and then screws up with the timing. No, we do not blame God for miscarriage. Again, an aside. One of the verses that I prayed over myself when I was pregnant with my firstborn son was John 10.10. Incidentally, this was also the the first verse that we taught him. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come to provide you life and life abundant. One of the things that my pastor loves to say is if it causes death, destruction, or theft, it is not from God. Miscarriage is not caused by God. Okay, I'm going to calm down now. Another one. You can always try again. Yeah, so chances are good that most couples can attempt to conceive again. Yes. Statistically, most couples who miscarry do go on to have successful pregnancies and healthy children. But most does not mean all. The woman you are trying to encourage in this way may have spent thousands of dollars on IVF, and this was her last surviving embryo. She might have experienced the terrible pain and trauma of an ectopic pregnancy that left her with a severely scarred and damaged reproductive system, or based on genetic concerns or the mother's physical or mental health, her doctor may strongly caution her against trying to conceive again, not to mention This isn't like swinging a baseball bat or trying to go viral on TikTok. We are talking about the undertaking that results in the creation of a human life. It's not something that ever should be taken lightly. You can try again is what you say to a kid who's struggling to tie his shoes, not a woman who has just lost a pregnancy. Okay. It's for the best because there was probably something wrong with the baby. This one hits too close to home for me because it's the one my mom actually said to me. Not my stepmom, who I often call my mom in this podcast and in real life, but my actual biological mom. And I know, I know that she did not mean it to be cruel. Even though I had a, a strange relationship with my mother, I know that she was absolutely not trying to cause me pain when she said that. I know that it's unlikely she ever thought I would miscarry. That's not something people tend to think of when they're going to have a grandchild. And she was probably searching for a way to help me not blame myself. And the thing about this one is, frankly, it is often true. 
roughly half of miscarriages are due to chromosomal abnormality. Now, abnormalities alone do not necessarily cause miscarriage, and many, many, many children born with them lead happy, healthy lives. But there are some instances in which a chromosomal abnormality is so severe that the embryo cannot continue to grow. In other cases, the shape of the uterus, the location of implantation, chronic maternal disease, or PCOS can be the cause. Now, in none of these cases is anyone to blame. But understand that the woman who just miscarried is not going to find a lot of solace in the fact that you're hinting that her child was some type of mutant or didn't deserve a chance at life or anything along those lines. So now you know what not to do. But how are you supposed to support a grieving mom or couple, especially if she already has young kids who don't understand why mom is sad? Okay, let's talk about some things you can do. Say, I'm sorry. It's simple and it seems like it's not enough, but anyone who is grieving needs to know that people acknowledge their loss. I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry you're going through this. Please don't offer thoughts or prayers if you're not actually thinking of or praying for her. We often tell those in mourning that we are there for them and they can reach out if they need anything, but let's face it, they rarely do. They're either in shock over their loss or buried under legal or medical paperwork or trying to process their own feelings while caring for others. What I recommend is putting that offer out there but rephrasing it a bit. Make offering for help seem less abstract. Send a text, maybe. Um, I'm going to Aldi for groceries. What can I bring you? And if you're already making plans to go out, see, mom might think of this less as an inconvenience for you, and she will probably be more likely to respond favorably. (laughs) Then, if she's up for a talk or company, you've got a reason to go visit her, and if not, you've still helped her in a practical way. Alternatively, you can conveniently make an extra large batch of something easy to reheat, like soup or stew or my personal favorite, enchiladas, and call her up. I made more than we can eat, so I'd love to drop some off for you. Is tomorrow afternoon good? And honestly, with the availability of services like DoorDash and Instacart, you can easily have a meal, a treat, or groceries sent to her with no trouble at all. Now, these ideas work well for anyone in mourning, not just mothers who've miscarried. This is especially helpful for families with young kids because the thing is, even if mom is in mourning and her body is physically in pain, she's still got to take care of those other kids. So helping her in this way is especially poignant. Another thing to do is consider taking those kids off her hands for a bit. If you're close enough with the family, maybe take the kids out to a movie or the park so they can enjoy themselves. They can be kids while mom and dad do whatever they need to do to move forward in the grieving process. And if you're not really close with the family, you can still help. You can reassure her that her baby was real and that her baby mattered. With my first loss, I came close to pretending it had never happened. In my head, I was ready to go back before the positive test, before the trauma, before the bleeding, the surgery, and say, well, it was just a fluke, just a bump in the road. I can move forward like it never happened because there is nothing to show for it except a hospital bill. But knowing that other people acknowledge her child as real and worth mourning for is a big deal. 
You can help her that way. It's also reassuring to her that even though her child is no longer there, she is still a mother. Her body created life, even if it was not able to sustain it. Some other options to honor her loss might include uh, offering to host a small, intimate, religious, or faith-based memorial service or gathering. This might be especially helpful if mom isn't really ready to make her way back into the public eye yet. Um, I've also known many people who had handcrafted jewelry or artwork made with what would have been the child's birthstone, due date, or name. One woman I know in particular had gone through a truly terrible loss. She lost her pregnancy after overcoming cancer. She and her husband planted a special tree in their yard in honor of that child. I am happy to say that she did go on to have healthy children. Something else to consider is donating to a special organization in memory of the baby. Now, there is one charity making a huge impact, and it was actually formed here where I live in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's called the Still Remembered Project. Now, this is not an ad or any kind of paid sponsorship. I, I just feel that what they do is so powerful and is so very needed. This group provides community education and awareness, support, and special keepsakes for grieving families and hosts meeting for bereaved mothers. They have a program called Angel Gowns, and if this doesn't move you, you are probably legitimately dead inside. They take donated wedding gowns and repurpose them into beautiful clothing for stillborn babies to be laid to rest in. Their website is stillremembered.org. And please, if you yourself need support or you need to get a mom or family connected to people who care and are able to help, that is a truly wonderful resource. Stillremembered.org. A few other things to note. Grieving a miscarriage is like any other kind of grief in that those well-known stages of grief Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance are not linear, and one stage doesn't necessarily resolve before another begins. Life would be so much easier if that were the case, but it's not, and it never has been. There will be depression days and acceptance days, days when the pain seems to fade a bit, and days when a song on the radio or the sight of a young baby might cause deep sadness. Oh, and please remember... Even if a couple goes on to have a healthy pregnancy and delivery and gets the chance to raise a child, the lost pregnancy doesn't magically disappear. That child made an impact on its parents and will never be erased, not by one or three or a dozen other children. Please don't make the mistake of brushing aside the miscarried baby as though the newborn is a replacement. They both have value in God's eyes. And speaking of that, I wanted to put something out there that is specific to my faith. And even though it won't be applicable to every person who's dealt with pregnancy loss, it truly helped me process my own. So I do need to share it. Someone shared a quote with me along the lines of every soul is created with a purpose. Some souls are never meant for the earth, but for heaven alone. Now, thinking of my children in that way, that they are eternal and loved and not forgotten, but in the presence of God forever, serving the purposes they were designed to fulfill, even if I don't understand that, 
gave me such a strong sense of hope and comfort that I continue to share that message with anyone who reaches out to me in the middle of a loss. And hey, if you happen to be listening and are experiencing a loss right now yourself, or if you experienced one some time ago and never allowed yourself to process that trauma, I would be honored to be the person you talk to. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Retrofitted Podcast, and I will be the listening ear that you need. Thank you for joining me today. I hope that you have been educated by this episode. If you would like to share feedback or book me for a speaking engagement, you can contact me at retrofittedpodcast at gmail.com or stop by Facebook or Instagram at Retrofitted Podcast. To listen to and download all episodes of the show and to purchase merch, please visit retrofittedpodcast.com. And if you're listening right now on your favorite platform, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review so together we can reach a larger audience and fix some of the problems that were created for us when we were growing up. As always, be wise and be well. song is Faster, Faster, Faster by Ryan Anderson.